Amen. Okay, this is what I want to do. I'm going to, I don't know whether you noticed last Sunday, if you're part and parcel of the church here, you're, and you're part and parcel of the church WhatsApp, I asked a question. What was your takeaway from all that Dan shared last Sunday? What was your takeaway? And Claire said, ooh, this is my takeaway, but I missed most of it because I had a call from my Antipodean brother, and so she had to go and take this call. So she missed some of the sermon, some of what Dan had to share, which was I thought was astounding. And then Martin said, well, this was my takeaway, and then nobody else. Tumbleweed was blowing through the WhatsApp. Nobody was brave enough to say what their takeaway was. Nobody maybe had a takeaway. Maybe you didn't really hear what Dan said. So I'm going to flick to the end of my notes and tell you what your takeaway needs to be today. (laughs) So I'm going to preload you with your takeaway. All right. So when I text out to the church this afternoon and say, what's your takeaway? You'll be able to repeat to me, oh, it's this, Bill. No, you don't have to do that. But this is what I hope you hear. This is what I hope you will think about as I unpack what I want to say. So I'm going to start at the end and then go back to the beginning and then work to the end. Okay? So there is a plan in my craziness. Okay, so these are my, some of my takeaways from what Dan shared about being filled with the Spirit on purpose, being filled on purpose, for purpose. Okay, that was what I felt Dan was kind of challenging me with. So my takeaways, my takeaways are always questions. It's not just an observation, it's a question, because I I want to think about what I hear and then say, okay, so what does that mean? What am I going to do? What's my question? So how do I know? Here's my first takeaway, and... um, I'm building this up to give you a takeaway for today, hopefully. Uh, how do you know the Holy Spirit was my, one of my takeaways. How do I know the Holy Spirit? How do I know? You know, if you know Bill and somebody says, how do you know Bill? You could tell me that when you met me, you could tell them rather, when I met him, oh, I met him in such and such a place. Oh, so what can you tell me about him? Oh, well, his dress sense mirrors Martin's. <laughs> He's always trying to be like Martin in the way that he dresses. You could tell them that. Um, You could tell them things that you know about me. You could tell them some of my history that I've shared, that I was a a boat builder, that I was a trawlerman, that I was a heavy plant fitter. You could tell them that I grew up in the West Country, but you could tell them I was born in Malta because you know things about me. You could tell them how you know me. And so my question is, how how do I know Holy Spirit? How do you know Holy Spirit? Do you know Holy Spirit? leads me into my next one how do you know sorry not how but do you know his power do you know his power do you know holy spirit's power have you seen his power at work have you experienced his power has he turned up in power and it's made you want to lay on the floor it's made you weep it's made you laugh it's made you amazed when he heals somebody in your company when you hear somebody's testimony of their, of their amazing encounter with him and, and his salvation, love that has overwhelmed them, have, have you seen his power? Do you know his power? Here's a question that rattled me, Dan. 
Is my witness bold? Is your witness bold? What does that mean? Are you shy to share? Or are you bold? And I don't mean obnoxiously, overwhelmingly in their face, ramming the Bible down their throat kind of bold. Because I, I've met those characters and I, I find at times even I, even I struggle to be around them. And I know him. But is your witness bold? Are you confident in your knowledge? Is your witness bold? And, and why is it bold? Or is it... This, this is the way my brain works. I'm, how, am I bold? Yeah, I am bold. Why? Because he's, he's amazing. He's worthy. He's extraordinary. He's a loving, gracious, kind, forgiving, passionate, intentional God who, who not, not just loves me, likes me. He likes me enough to not leave me alone in my bad habits and inappropriate patterns, but he likes me enough to chase me down, to make sure that I am continually aware of his presence in my journey. Here's my fourth question. Do people see the evidence of him in me, in you? These are questions for you, maybe. Maybe you might have these down as a takeaway from this morning before I say any more. And then here's my last one, and this leads me into what I want to talk about. Are you, are you a good investment? Did he make a good investment when he invested you with his presence, with his power, Holy Spirit? Are you... A good investment? Does God get a good return from his investment in you of his love and his grace and his mercy? Or are you merciless and graceless? Are you a good investment? Whoa. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I hope I am. I try to be a good investment. But I am a work in progress. So now let me go to the beginning of my notes. And let's dig in to a portion of scripture that's really interesting. And it's fascinated me over a few weeks. And I've been reading around this and thinking about this for weeks. And if you've encountered me uh, at all over these last few weeks, you'll find me talking about something that I read in C.S. Lewis's uh, The Final Battle. Uh, something about, uh, you'll have heard me kind of, it's been spilling out of me in different places as I chit-chat about stuff and life. And It's Matthew 25. So Matthew 25, verse 14, is where it starts. And it's the parable, I'm going to read to you unusually from the NIV, uh, because I like the way that the NIV translates the word talent. Um, because in the NLT, which is what I usually read from, uh, it translates the word talent as a bag of silver, but the NRV translates the word talent as a bag of gold. Bag of gold. More valuable than silver. I'd, give me a bag of gold. Give me a bag of silver and I'll trade you for your bag of gold any day. And so I like the fact that it kind of elevates the value in its 
translation of, a, of the word talent. But this parable, the, the, bags, the parable of the bags of gold, verse 14. I'm going to read it through and comment as I go a little bit. But I've got an agenda. And my agenda is to hopefully stir your heart for you to ask the kind of questions that I ask of me, that you would ask some questions of you. This parable is in a lot of red, okay, in my translation. Uh, it's a lot of red. And red represents the words of Jesus. And so Jesus here is, uh, he's already just talked about, in the previous chapter, he's talked about the temple being destroyed. He's talked about the day and the hour of his coming again is not known, okay? And then he, he goes from that, thought where the temple is going to be destroyed it's going to be restored but when and where and how and when it, it all that kind of stuff is like not quite sure even jesus says nobody knows not even him only the father and then he goes into being ready being ready for when that happens and he starts with the 10 virgins five have got oil and five haven't bothered to get enough oil and he tells this story of some being ready and others not being ready. And because they weren't ready, they miss out. And then he drops into this story, and he is the ultimate storyteller. And so he's on a mission here to make people think. And any good Bible teacher would make you think. They don't want just to give you answers. You should think about what you hear. You should. Hence my question, what's your takeaway? Because I'm thinking, they're thinking like I think. But maybe we don't. And so I want to challenge you to think about what I'm going to talk to you about. Think about you. Think about him. Because it matters to him what you think. Okay, so here we are. The kingdom of God is coming. And this is one of Jesus' stories that is meant to help his followers, you, me, live in such a way that it's clear that we're waiting for his return. We are investing our lives and our understanding of who he is in anticipation that he's going to return. And so here we go. Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. So Jesus is saying, again, this is like the story I've just told you about the ten virgins. So again, same kind of attitude, same kind of um, perspective, same kind of trajectory i said that word right in my edit sounded wrong again it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts his wealth to them he entrusts his wealth to them he doesn't just give them pocket money he entrusts to them his wealth jesus is intentional in every word that he uses in this painting of a story painting of a picture he entrusts his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Let me just pause. I'm going to do this a little bit through here, this story, pausing to give some perspective and some clarity. He gives him five bags of gold. Let me just, in other translations, it will say he gave him, um, he had a talent. He was given five talents. A talent is 34 kilograms of gold. 
or 34 kilograms. There's a little bit of dispute in theologians. If you research what's the value of a talent, you get some theologians will tell you it's uh, a week's wages, a month's wages, a year's wages, five years' wages, ten years' wages, twenty years' wages. That's how diverse the opinion is on the value of a talent. Okay, but you'll find in the I've got a footnote in my Bible that says 34 kilograms, one talent. 34 kilograms of gold, I googled it. You got to, haven't you? You got to. What's the value of 34 kilograms of gold? Well, it's 1.77 million pounds. Okay? So just for maths, we'll call it 2 million. All right? So he gives one guy 10 million. 10 million. And to another guy, five. He gives him a 4 million. Then he gives one guy. Uh, one bag of gold, two million. It's not an insignificant sum. But you need to understand that it's not the value of the gold that matters. It's the fact that it's a lot. That's the key. It's like shed loads of money. He's not being stingy, this master. He's giving his wealth to these people. He's holding nothing back, but he's giving it to them according to their ability. According to their ability. Anyway, let's go on. I'll come back to that maybe in a bit. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole. In the ground and hid his master's money. Makes me think, why did he dig a hole? Why didn't he just put it under his mattress? Why why did he put himself to work and dig a hole? What was going through his mind? Well, we'll get a glimpse into what's going through his mind in a little bit, I think. So Jesus is telling this story to people who have been entrusted with a lot. He's talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to the other religious people that are listening to his comments. And he's talking about a nation that has been blessed with blessings upon blessings upon blessings. And they're waiting, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. But what they've done with their blessing is minimal because of their attitude. We'll come to that in a moment. After a long time, the master of of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. He's saying, listen, the king... The master who has made an investment is going to call those that have had the investment to account. What have you done with what I've given you? Okay. So there's going to be a moment of account. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. 
brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Just a point here that jumps out at me. It's the same response to the action, not the amount He's not saying, oh, five bags, ten bags, you are amazing. And to the two-bag guy, he's not saying, two bags, you've given me another two bags, that's pretty good. But have you seen the five-bag guy? That five-bag guy, look at what he's done. You know, if only you'd tried a little bit harder, you could have been like the five-bag guy. But no, he's not looking for that. He's, he's not interested in that. He says, well done. Good and faithful servant. He gets exactly the same response. Gets exactly the same response. Come and enjoy my happiness. What does that mean? It's not, wow, ten bags of gold. Well done. I'm really happy. I'm really, really pleased. I've got an increase in my investment in you. Well done. That's brilliant. I'm so pleased. Two bad guy, you got four, well done, I'm so thrilled, I'm just really, really happy that I'm even wealthier now that I've returned, I'm so happy, come and enjoy my happiness, we're going to have a party, we're going to spend some of this on ourselves, we're going to have a party, go on a holiday, no, 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 no. I think his happiness has nothing to do with the amount of money because he doesn't keep the money. The money is theirs because we'll read in a moment that the one bag guy has his gold taken off him and given to the ten bag guy. I think his happiness is in that these guys have stepped up, that they've been responsible to do something. And he's thrilled. He's thrilled that their character that he has invested in has developed in such a way that they've been responsible and accountable. And he's thrilled that in the way that they've grown, in the way that they've chosen to do something. That's what he's thrilled in. His master replied, oh, sorry. Uh, Then the one who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. He knew, he thought, he knew what the master was like. Hard, hard, difficult, unpleasant, grabbing, self-centered, all about gaining value, gaining stuff gaining other people's expense. He knew what this master was really like. 
But you need to think about that. Jesus is telling a story, he's painting a picture, and he's a craftsman in storytelling. And so he's making a point here. This guy thought he knew the master. And Jesus is saying he had no clue what the master was like. Now, if you think about this guy's understanding of what the master is like, does and we know that Jesus is telling this story. So Jesus is saying this master, and he's meaning him, this master who's going to be away for a while is entrusting something of value to his servants. And when he comes back, he's looking for them to be accountable. He's going to hold them to account. And he's looking for a return on his investment in them. And we can think about the fact, we can think that that means I've got to work really hard. I've got to really, really work hard. I've got to produce loads with my life. You know, God's entrusted to me all of this. And so I've got to do all of that. It's not about that. This story is about understanding who the master is. It's about understanding who he is. That's the takeaway. This story is about understanding him. And I want to say, here you go, this is for you. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's like? Do you really know what he's like? Or is he some authoritarian God who will smack you if you step over a line, who will remove his grace from you? Because you don't actually do what you think you should do. Or what the church has taught you that you should do. What do you think he's like? Do you think he's a hard, thoughtless, uncaring master? See, Jesus is wanting us to understand that to all of us, there is an expectation from him for all of us. But we're not all expected to do the same thing. We're not all called to produce five bags. What we're called to do is produce something. We're called to do something. And we will be limited in our something if our perspective of the master is flawed, incorrect, inaccurate, if we think he's a hard God, a judgmental God, a God who punishes sin, instead of a God who actually redeems man from sin, there's a God who sets us free, a God who loves us intentionally, on purpose, and he invests in us, his spirit, he invests himself in us, in you, In you. Yeah, even you. Even me. I'm alive. This master really knows his servants. Because he gives to them. He gives to them. He knows. He knows that this guy's got an attitude about him. But he still makes an investment in him. Have you ever met anybody? I thought about this and I think, oh gosh, I know people. Have you ever met anybody that's got an opinion about you? And it's not true. But they've got a really, really clear opinion of you. And they know you. And they don't like you. And there's nothing you can say or do to change their opinion because their opinion is fixed. Somebody was talking to me. I've got to be careful I don't look at them. But somebody was talking to me about somebody that they met who said to them, 
They were really looking forward to coming to Myrtle House one day when Bill wasn't there because they didn't like Bill, but they really liked Martin. Because... <laughs> because they have, a, they have an opinion about me. They think they know me. And their opinion is not nice or good. Uh, the, the person telling me didn't tell me exactly what they thought of me, which I'm really grateful for because <laughs> it can kind of get you down. But I guarantee you that person, now I know who that person is, but I know that they don't know me. I know that they don't know me. You see, and Jesus knows that you don't really know him. He knows that. And yet he still makes an investment in you. He's still investing in you. He's still giving you something of his wealth because he believes that you can be more than you, than you believe you can be. He believes that you, if he gives you an opportunity, you can become all that he has dreamt of you becoming. So his happiness with the five-bag guy is not that he's got ten bags. It's that he's become something. That he's become someone who actually thinks and takes responsibility. And two-bag guy, he, he's really happy with him because he's taken responsibility for what he had. And he could have been really happy with one bad guy, but one bad guy had a bad attitude about the master. He had a misunderstanding of who the master was. But the master knew his servants. And I want you to see the heart of the master in this parable. Because Jesus is trying to show us that the heart of the master is amazing. The master master replied, Hold on to the thought that the master is amazing. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Remember the master is kind and generous, loving, gracious. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered. Well then, he's calling this guy out because the guy's lying. If you knew that that's what I'm like, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. If you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown, if you knew that I was a hard man, then you would have done something with more integrity than nothing. Nothing is not acceptable. If you just put my money on investment and did nothing, that would have been okay. But you're lying through your teeth to me. Because I see what you're really like. You're wicked, you're self-centered, you're arrogant, you're unpleasant. And your self-centered laziness means that I can have nothing to do with you. I can have nothing to do with you. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. He invests even more in the one that's got the most which is like man this guy this guy is a good guy to work with and he i'd like a boss like this for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth The message calls this one bad guy. It says this. This is the play it safe guy. The play it safe guy. 
the one who was not willing to go out on a limb. The guy who says he knows the master, but his opinion of the master is flawed, so much so that he's not willing to do anything. And it's not that his attitude about the master is flawed, that's stopping him from doing anything. It's that his own attitude about himself is flawed. He doesn't, he can't be bothered. And Dan challenged us last Sunday about Holy Spirit being filled on purpose for purpose. Don't you know, he said, don't, he challenged me, don't you know that you're filled with the Spirit on purpose, by God, on purpose, for purpose? Don't you know that? That was, you challenged me, mate. You challenged me. Because if I know that, if I know that, then I'm charged with being accountable for that. I've got to do something with that. Or I can be a person who says, I don't have to do anything. And you can be lazy. And you need to understand that Jesus sees that heart. And it's because of your heart and your attitude about yourself. And you're not understanding clearly who he is that makes you adopt an attitude of not bothering. That's why the church is so apathetic across our nation. Because people don't understand who the master truly is. They feel as though he, they can't spend time talking to him, so they don't pray. They read their selected portions of scripture because they like those portions of scripture, but, and they dodge the challenging ones about maybe forgiving those who don't like you. <laughs> about going the extra mile, about turning the other cheek, about oh, giving your coat. All I know you, you're wondering what I'm talking about because you haven't read those bits of scripture. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Thank you. I'm getting a response. You see, we're challenged. We're challenged to be more than the one bad guy. We're challenged. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to truly be ready, don't be the one bad guy. Have a clear understanding of who he is. Have a clear understanding of this God who loves you, this God that's forgiven you. Have a true understanding and do something. The views that are, that are pictured here in Jesus's parable are that the master is this guy that is happy when people flourish he trusts and he's generous and he wants people to become what their potential can make them that's his heart or he's the Jesus jerk the God that is just hard and horrible the God that just judges you because you you want to do this and he he says don't do that and you have this attitude of arrogance and you think he's mean and unforgiving and unrelentingly selfish and that all he wants is to rob you of your fun, which is a picture that the church has personified. Ellen and I had the joy of being part of a, an experience this week where we, uh, Ellen and I, are part, we head up the South Wales region uh, for the New Wine Cymru New Wine Cymru is um, uh, a cross-denomination 
cross-denominational organization uh, set up in Wales. It's an Anglican, originally uh, conceived concept based in England, but it's all over the globe, New Wine. Um, and New Wine Cymru is, uh, Ellen and I are part of the apostolic leadership of that. And as part of, um, uh, there's over 600 churches in Wales connected with it, uh, 600 leaders, not as many churches, 600 leaders connected with it. And uh, we head up a, um, a region that covers from Bridgend uh, to um, just west of Carmarthen. And um, we, monthly, uh, every, uh, we have five gatherings a year, just telling you a little bit about who they are and what we do. Anyway, we have, as a, uh, as a group of um, leaders across the nation, we've gathered together those that are gifted with prophecy. And they, they are developing a school of prophets. And they, as part of what they felt God said to them as a group, they felt that they needed to prophesy over all the group leaders. So this group, West Wales group, or South Wales group, we spent two and a half hours with six guys on a Zoom meeting. And there's five of us in our team. And they prophesied over us, individually and then as a group. It took two and a half hours. The most extraordinary moments, sitting and being part of, also prophesying over some of the other people that were having words of encouragement spoken over their lives. And one of the prophetic words that was spoken over Ellen and myself, they, they, um, one of the people said, uh, when we were praying for you, I felt you're like the two Ronnies. And I'm thinking, who's the big fat one then? But they said... Um, they were um, a couple of comedians in the uh, 70s and 80s that their appeal was from uh, seniors right down to children. Their humour spanned the range. There was a, an appeal across the generations to these two comedians. But also they, they were individuals who had careers individually. They, didn't, they weren't limited to their partnership, but their partnership transcended generations and they just spoke over us and one of the things that came out of this thing was that they said God wants you to be happy God really wants you to be happy and they said you have given and given and given and you are full of joy but God wants you to be happy and it was like oh and here he, the master says well done well done. Come and enjoy my happiness. Come and experience my happiness. What delights my heart. You see, and I think he wants that for you. He wants you to experience his happiness so that you can actually be the person that God's called you to be, to handle what he's entrusted to you, what he's invested in you. That's his plan. That's his purpose. And I was reading around this and thinking about this, this uh, parable. And somebody pointed me to, uh, I read something or listened to something, and they pointed me to C.S. Lewis as a theologian. Uh, who he was. And, um, and they said, uh, they, they shared a, a story. And I want to share the story with you because I haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I haven't I've never delved into that. Um, but I think I want to. But anyway... Uh, they're based on C.S. Lewis's understanding of 
Jesus and Christianity. And so there's a pattern. And he's telling a story to paint a picture. And in the last book, called The Last Battle, there's at the end of the book, there's a scenario. And Aslan, the lion, who's representing Jesus in, in the uh, story, Aslan has been uh, victorious and he has vanquished the, the, the um, villains, the wicked queen. And, and he is now in authority and he wants to welcome all of the creatures of Narnia into the new Narnia. And they have to pass by Aslan and go through the barn gates, or the barn doors, uh, into the deeper Narnia. Okay, so there's this process where the, pe- the, the creatures, uh, the animals and the people, the creatures have to parade past Aslan, this majestic lion with all of his authority and magnificence. And the dwarves have been invited. And now the dwarves are unpleasant, uh, self-centered, egotistical, selfish. They're not evil, but they're not good. They're just unpleasant. And they're all about the dwarves. It's all about them. It's all about them. And they have to come past Aslan as well. Now, Narnia is in uproar about the dwarves because the dwarves had slain the talking horses that had just been liberated and for some reason, and I don't understand why they did that, but everybody is in uproar. But Aslan still says, dwarves, come, come. And so they have to move past Aslan and as they are coming past Aslan, they're they're nervous and anxious because they think he's going to swipe them and kill them. They think he's going to do for them when they're in his presence but they move past him and they move through the the barn doors into what they think is a barn they they don't realize that actually what they've entered into is the new narnia a deeper narnia and so in their minds they're in a barn and so uh, the book says as as they arrive in through the gates aslan shakes his majestic mane and Food lands, delectable, delicious food lands on the laps of all the people that are in the new Narnia. But the dwarves begin to eat and they think, it says they thought they were eating straw and hay. They th- one says, I felt I, uh, all I've got is old cabbage leaves. They have this attitude that doesn't allow them to see the majestic sustenance that the king has provided for them their attitude is robbing them one commentator on this story because i i do that as well i read what people think about the story i want to research it i want to understand said this the dwarves hearts hardened by hypocritical leadership couldn't see the true leader They were insistently insensible. Their beliefs became their reality. They were righteously resistant. Righteously resistant. Uh, Forgive me for saying this, Dan, but you, in your story of you, manifested in your 
journey that you were righteously resistant, weren't you? Holy Spirit, making people fall on the floor, laugh, shake. I don't need any of that. Oh, no, not for me. You get on with it if you're more needy than me, but I don't need that. That's righteously resistant. He wants to pour out on you an abundance. He wants to stir within you that which he has invested. And the Spirit of God will do the stirring, the convicting, the challenging, the encouraging, the provoking, the goading. And you'll miss it if you're righteously resistant, if you're insistently insensible. The dwarves ended up thinking that the other, that dwarf, he's eating better food than me. And they began to squabble and fight amongst themselves. So much so that they descended into a brawl. And they were taking chunks out of each other. And eventually exhausted and bruised and battered and bloodied, they slumped to the ground and they said this, we haven't let anyone take us in, they boasted, as they drank rich wine that they had taken to be trough water laced with donkey slobber. (laughs) Their arrogance of what they thought the master was like didn't take them in. And we can be righteously resistant to Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in his parable, he's saying, listen, don't have the wrong perspective of who the master is. Get it clear in your understanding of who he is, what he's like, what he's invested in you, and then do your best. Do your best. Whatever that best is, it will be enough. But just hold nothing back. Do your best. And I've got some don't you knows. Or do you know? Do you know he trusts you with his goodness? Do you know that? Do you know that he's invested in you his goodness? Do you know that he's invested in you his goodness to love yourself? I'm going to really pause here and drive this nail as hard as I can. He's invested in you, his spirit, to stir you so that you love you. So that you love you. I'm I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. You. I'm driving this nail. You. You're saying not me? No, no. If you ask, no, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. Don't, it's not them, it's you. <laughs> it's you. Don't you know? His love in you wants you to love you. Because if you can't love you, you can't love them. You've got to, because you'll love them as you love you. And if you don't love you, you won't love them. You'll be really righteously resistant to being loving. He wants you to love others. He's made an investment for you to make a difference. The problem is sometimes we make a difference that we shouldn't be making. It's better when we leave than when we arrive in some people's books. He wants you to make a positive difference. And that will still mean for some people it's better when you've gone than when you arrive. (laughs) Because they don't like you. But they don't like you for the right reasons. Because you're righteous. 
you're a man or a woman of integrity, that you love the unlovely, you love the people that they don't think are worthy of loving, and yet you give your life to them, and you give your heart to them, and you give your resources to them, and you care enough to get out of your chair. Do you know he has expectations of you? Do you know this? He has expectations of you. He wants you to share in his happiness. Do you know this? This is the God we serve. He loves you and he wants you to know him. And finally, do you know that he knows you? He's the master in the story. He knew. He knew them. He knew them. And he still made the investment of his wealth. He knew them. And he knows you. And he's held nothing back from you. Do you know him? No, do you know him? Or do you know about him? Yeah, that's good. We all, we've all heard his name. We, we sing it in our songs, and we're going to come back to the worship now any moment and just press into him. And I want to stir your hearts because it's about knowing him that makes the difference. Do you know the master? Do you know what he's really like? Do you know that he's not a hard God? Do you know that he's kind and generous? Do you know that he makes an investment of his son? For your salvation? Do you know this? God has made an investment in you. His bag of gold. His Holy Spirit. Because you have an ability. An anointing. To make his kingdom advance. He knows you. Make sure that you keep pressing in to knowing him. Don't get duped into thinking because of hypocritical leadership around you where people have said something and done something that is just nonsense, garbage. They are not a true reflection of who he is. And the world thinks that God is like his church. And they judge him by our standards, by our lives. I pray that you think about you and you think about him. And you begin to choose to try. It's not about working harder. It's about just being you and trusting that the you that you are is enough. As long as the you isn't insistently insensible and righteously resistant. Break those habits. All right? Be stubborn in your resistance of being righteously resistant. Okay? So God's made an investment. Let's give him a good return. Yeah? I want him. So here's my question, and then I'm going to hand over to mine. What's your takeaway?